with you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We thank God for his grace. We thank God for his presence. And we thank him for being with us even throughout the week. Um, let me take this time to welcome uh, our visitors. Um, they have introduced themselves. Um, uh, there's uh, Gideon. Gideon was outside. Gideon is uh, a pastor in um, Florida Baptist Church in Johannesburg, Florida. He's my best friend. <laughs> um, so when he, um, he told me that he's coming, I wanted him to preach, but he refuses. So uh, <laughs> he has come with, with uh, um, a couple of uh, people that he has visited. They've introduced themselves and get to know them after church. Um, welcome, uh, Gideon. We've been talking about you visiting, and now you, you have visited, and you don't want to come to the pulpit. Uh, may God bless you as you um, take your time of rest uh, from uh, Florida. Um, we have been going through uh, the Psalms of Lament for a couple of weeks now. Um, last week, I, I, we, we went through Psalm 13, and um, my... My motivation for this, as I said, I, I feel as if God has been speaking to me through these psalms, and I'm taking advantage of, of that to kind of say, let us walk this journey together, and let us see what God has to say to us from his word, how to cry out to God, um, how to uh, properly cry out to God, um, so to use that, that term. Um, psalms of lament are psalms of people, when you read them, um, are, are psalms of people who were in despair. And in the midst of their despair, what we see is that they are not running away from God, but they are running to God. And that is peculiar, the, the, the peculiar thing about these psalms, that these individuals are still in speaking terms with God, even in the midst of despair. Today I want to draw your attention to Psalm 38. Psalm 38. This is a psalm of David. It's called a psalm of David for the memorial offering. And in this psalm, what we will see, we will look at the title of Sin and Suffering. Sin and suffering. So Psalm 38, 1 to 22, sin and suffering. Let us commit this time to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Our dear Heavenly Father, as we draw near to you this morning, we are thankful for your word, that your word speaks. It speaks with power. It speaks with encouragement. It speaks with correction. It speaks with rebuke and it speaks in such a way that as we hear it and we heed your word, we are trained in righteousness so that we may be equipped, equipped to face life, equipped to honor you, equipped to worship you, equipped, oh God, to be the people that you are preparing us to be. In the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we pray this. Amen. Why do we suffer? Why do we suffer? As I said last week, 
this question has been asked for centuries. It's called the problem of evil. But when we turn to the Bible to solve the problem of evil, many people are a bit disappointed. The Bible doesn't give us a neat logical answer to why bad things happen to people. Instead, it teaches us that the best posture before God in the midst of pain is prayer. The, the Psalms of Lament in the Bible teach us how to pray in our suffering. And as we saw last week, so much of our complaining in this life is merely grumbling. It's not lament in the biblical sense of the word. We are prone to grumble to others about our problems. You see, the Bible does invite us to complain. But we are called to complain to God, not others. And we not only protest to God, we also petition God and ask him for deliverance. And we, we, we do so with a desire to praise God for his deliverance. So you saw last week as I was talking about uh, there the, the are three, um, three divisions when you look at the Psalms of, of laments. There's petition, there's protest, then there's praise, right? Uh, and, and, and we can see that this is the proper way because at the end of the day, they see God as the one who is truly in control and as the one who truly is able to deliver. And so as they complain to God, their hearts in turn are filled with the hope that, 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 that God is with us. So this is the pattern that we see in the Psalms of Lament when we pray in our suffering. But while the Bible doesn't give us a neat logical answer to why bad things happen to people, it does give us some answers. Over the next two weeks, we are going to explore some of those answers in Psalm 38 and Psalm 26. The reason I, I, I don't preach Psalm 26 today and Psalm 38 next week, I want us to look at suffering because of sin. One commentator says, the Bible makes it very clear that not all suffering is caused by sin, nor that all sin leads immediately or inevitably to suffering, at least in this life. Uh, Job is an example of this, isn't he? And Jesus is also a perfect example of this. There are also many Psalms, there are also many Psalms that uh, protest because suffering is undeserved. Next week we'll look at Psalm 26, which is the case, which teaches us how to pray when, when the innocent suffer. But the Bible does teach us that sin can lead to affliction. Sin can lead to affliction. We'll see this this morning in Psalm 38. So, so, so many passages, passages in Scripture speak that, 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 that speaks of undeserved suffering, warn us against always seeking a link between sin and suffering. So we must not always uh, seek a link. That when we see someone suffering, we, we must not immediately think or conclude that this person is suffering because of sin. But Psalm 38, Psalms like Psalm 38, also warn us against denying that there's ever a link. Not all David's suffering was because of sin, right? I think of his suffering at the hands of Saul, 
it was not because of his sin. It was because of Saul and his pride. But a lot of David's suffering was a result of his sin. Psalm 3 speaks of his enemies that are rising up against him, his foes that are coming against him. The, the inscription of Psalm 3 tells us that it was on the occasion when David fled from Absalom, his son. You see, David's sin as a father led to this suffering at the hands of Absalom. But even though David's suffering was a direct result of sin, it didn't keep him from crying out to God and asking for relief. In other words, you remember last week when I said that they are on speaking terms. These, these psalmists who are praying these psalms of lament are, are not far from God. They are realizing that their hope is only in God. The same is true for us. Even when we suffer because of our sin, we can still go to God and ask for his deliverance. How do we do that? Well, Psalm 38 tells us how. Normally, I, I give you the structure of the passage after I've read it, right? But this morning, I want to lay out the structure uh, of the passage before I read it to, to help you follow along as I read the passage. Psalm 38 is structured like a sandwich, right? There's a petition at the top in verse 1 and verse 2, and at the end, there's also a petition, verse 21 and verse 22. There are two movements in the, in the, in the middle of this sandwich, uh, movements of protest, right? There's a protest for suffering in verse 3 to 10. There's a protest for isolation in verse 11 to 20. Uh, both these protests include a confession of sin and an express, uh, an express confidence in God. In the first protest, um, confession comes first in verse 3 to verse 8, and the confidence comes second in verse 9 to 10. In the second protest, confidence comes first in verse 11 to 17, and the confession comes second in verse 18 to 20. The petition at the bottom does give a hint of a move toward praise. The psalmist says in verse 28, he calls God the Lord of my salvation. The Lord of my salvation. The verse 22 in this psalm corresponds with 22 letters. Uh, these 22 verses um, correspond with 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. This is a common form for Hebrew poetry. It gives the poet a complete structure from, from A to Z. The, in other words, what we see in this passage, we see the A to Z of confessing sin to God. It expresses fully and cannot be expressed fully as well. That The pain that David is experiencing has sapped him of all his energy. It has sapped him of all his strength. There aren't enough words to express his suffering here. But the 22 verses give him a structure to express his grief as fully as he can. Let us read from the psalm, Psalm 38, verse 1 to 22. I read from the ESV, follow me as I read. This is God's word, let us hear him. A psalm of David for the memorial offering. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, no discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh, 
because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day long. All the day I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning. There is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me. And the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague and my nearest kin stands far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my head speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But I am like a deaf man. I do not hear like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth are no rebukes. But for you, O Lord, do not do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me who boast against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity, I am sorry for my sin, but my foes are vigorous, they are mighty, and many are those who hate me wrongfully, those who render me evil for good, accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O God. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Like I said, the psalm is divided into four main parts. There are two petitions and two protests. The two protests confess sin and express confidence in God. So I'll divide my sermon into six sections or six movements. This prayer provides us with a pattern of how to pray when we suffer because of our sin. Let's start with the first petition in verses 1 and 2. It could be summarized this way. This is what David is saying. Do not discipline me in your wrath. Do not discipline me in your wrath. This is the first movement that we see. Do not discipline me in your wrath. David is suffering. That the, Lord's, the Lord's arrows have sunk into him. As we'll see, this is because of his sin. David isn't necessarily opposed to God's rebuke. He deserves rebuke. And he's not necessarily opposed to God's discipline as well. Discipline is useful. You see, suffering is, from, is a form of discipline that can help us grow and, and ultimately bring glory to God. David's concern here in this passage is God's end gain. Is God's discipline corrective or is it punitive? By that I mean, is it aiming at conflicting pain? At inflicting pain, I mean. Is God acting as a surgeon in the heart of David or is he acting as a judge? David is saying, don't give me judgmental discipline. David's suffering is so severe in this case that it feels like judgment. God's hand is upon him. We are told in verse 2 here, God's mighty hand, when, when you look at um, 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 the testimony of scripture, usually refers to God's judgment against God's enemies. Like in the case of Pharaoh. 
But David isn't God's enemy, is he? David is God's anointed king. The Bible refers to him as God's son. And God made a promise to David. God said that whenever a Davidic king committed iniquity, that he would discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men, but, but that his steadfast love would not depart from him. God said in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14, he said, your house and kingdom shall, shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne is established forever. When you look at the whole passage, actually, uh, verse 14 to verse 16, the, the, the suffering he's going through feels like punishment of an enemy. It feels like wrath. It, it does not feel like the discipline of a son. And so his petition is bold before God. It's also based on God's promises. And thank God that God didn't discipline David in his wrath. God answered David's prayer. David's line continued all the way to Christ, didn't it? And through Christ's suffering unto death, those of us who are in Christ won't have to suffer God's ultimate judgment. Because Christ took God's wrath. And we won't have to suffer God's wrath if we place our trust in Jesus. But if we suffer for our sin in this life, when we do, we can cry out to God like David here and ask him to deliver us from our suffering. He, he may not answer our prayer in this life sometimes, but we have hope that he will ultimately deliver us from suffering. So we see the first movement David is moving from saying, do not discipline me in your wrath. Now, now the question that we should ask is, why does David feel like, God, like God, God's moved beyond a disciplining of a son to punishing an enemy? It's because of the severity of his suffering. We see this in verses 3 to 8. We, we can summarize this next movement, this next part. Um, of the, this is the first um, protest. Um, he says, I'm suffering, but confess my sin. I'm suffering, but confess my sin. He said at, the, at first, don't discipline me in your rest. Secondly, I'm suffering, but confess my sin in verse 3 to 8. We don't know for sure if the suffering he's facing is literal sickness or it's figurative. Regardless of that, it shows us just how su severe suffering for sin can be. David says, there's no soundness in my flesh. There's no health in my bones. Th th there's movement from the outward to the inward, from the external to the internal, from skin to bones. In other words, there's no part of him that's not affected by suffering but not only is his whole being affected by suffering he goes on to say it's more than he can bear in verse 4 he says my iniquities have gone over my head the imagery here is like a waterfall that won't stop pouring on him He's up to his neck in suffering. And he says, the waters are too heavy for me. He can't stand up straight. 
In verse 6, he says, I'm utterly bowed down and prostrate. I'm feeble and crushed. Like I said, we don't know if he's describing literal sickness or if the anguish that he's experiencing uh, because of his sin uh, uh, or, 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 or whatever he's experiencing. But what we see here, that his sin, the anguish that he's experiencing is so severe that there are no other words to describe it. Think about that. David the psalmist, the word smith, utterly in despair, in anguish, weighed down by his sin, unable to truly express it because of the anguish that he's experiencing. Now, those of you who have ever experienced severe grief or emotional pain, know that it can sometimes hurt worse than anything that you've ever experienced physically. But, but regardless of whether or not his suffering is literal or, 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 or it is um, literally physical, we, we know that whatever his malady, it's affecting him emotionally. Um, I'm afraid to tread on this ground. Um, psychologists usually um, say that when one is affected emotionally, over time, their emotional grief will end up being shown physically. I'll try to confirm it after church. Um, it's in verse 6, right? He says, all the day I go about mourning. In, in verse 8, again, he says, I, I groan because of the tumult of my heart. We, we, we can see he's in emotional anguish. His emotional suffering is like that of a, which a sheep experiences in a tumultuous sea. In verse 10, he says, my, my heart throbs, my, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it, it also has gone from me. And in all of this, David knows that his grief and suffering are a result of his sin and iniquity. There's no health in his bones because of his sin. In verse 3, and it's his iniquities that have gone over him. Verse 4, his wounds are because of his foolishness. Verse 5, but even though he acknowledges and confesses his sin, he still prays to God to let up. This suffering feels like punishment to him, not like the discipline of a son. It's like he's saying to God, I've confessed my sin. Isn't that enough? Stop punishing me. I've got the message now. But David isn't stopping here. Doesn't stop at confessing his sin. He, he moves on to the heart of the prayer in verse 9. He confesses his confidence in God. That the second part of his first petition could be summarized like this. I'm suffering, but have confidence in you. I'm suffering, but have confidence in you. This is what we see in verse 9 and 10. He knows that God is aware of his groaning. He says, oh, oh, oh Lord, my God, uh, uh, my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. And this gives him confidence. The fact that God is present with him gives him confidence. Like the Israelites who groaned in their suffering in Egypt. 
He expects God to hear him and deliver him. You see, when we suffer because of our sin, we have confidence that God, um, that, that we won't suffer forever. God will keep his covenant with those who are in Christ and will be delivered from God's ultimate judgment. But it's also acceptable to cry out to God now and ask him to deliver us from the consequences of our sin. How many of you are still reeling from the consequences of sin? Maybe it's from mistakes that we made last year. Maybe from mistakes that we made in our youth and we continue to, uh, to, to, to be haunted by these mistakes. Or it's bad financial decisions that can have long-term consequences. Sexual sin can have lasting repercussions. Our sins as parents sometimes can affect the next generation. If you find yourself suffering because of sin, cry out to God. Cry out to him on the basis of your standing in Christ. Confess your sins and, and express your confidence in God to heal your suffering. That's the pattern we're given here in the first half of, of, of Psalm 38. And, and this pattern is repeated in the second half of the psalm. In verse 11, as David's physical energies fade away, his concern shifts to his social situation. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stands far off. He feels isolated from his friends and family. The, the, the first part of the second prote protest can be summarized this way. I'm isolated, but have confidence in you. I'm isolated, but have confidence in you. This we see in verse 11 to verse 17. You see, those who are relationally closest to David seem to be far off. I think most of us can relate, right? When we are struggling and suffering, people seem to distance themselves from us. When someone's in pain, it's hard to know how to relate to them. We, we don't know what to do, right? We, we, we don't know what to say. We are even afraid when someone calls us on the phone and says, I have something to tell you. You don't know how to respond. You don't know what to say. Calvin says, John Calvin says, either this is from pride or from fear. His friends have ceased to act humanely toward, humanely toward him. If pride, they would be guilty of cruelty. If fear they will be cowards. Another commentator says, it's ironic that the more a person needs human support, the less he naturally attracts it. The more a, 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 a person needs human support, the less they naturally attract it. There's a saying that is uh, a secular saying that people say, and it's true. When days are dark, friends are few. So if his physical suffering were not enough, now he's suffering socially as well. And this isolation lays him open to the attacks of his enemies. At a minimum, he's being ridiculed by his enemies. 
uh, but it seems like there's more going on. He's vulnerable physically. And so his enemies are trying to kick him while he's down. They are taking advantage of his weakness. Look at verse 12. They, they lay their snares. They, they speak of ruin. They meditate treachery all day long. David laments his situation. But he doesn't stop with his complaint. He also expresses confidence in God. We see this in verse 13 to 17. David is like a deaf man. He, he doesn't hear. He's like a mute man who doesn't open his mouth. He says, I have become like a man who does not hear and whose mouth are no rebukes. David is acting toward his enemies the way he wants God to act toward him. He's not rebuking them. But why? Look at verse 15. He's waiting on the Lord. That the Lord, his God, will answer his enemies. He, he ex, he's expressing his confidence in God. This is the central and therefore most important part of this prayer. Vengeance belongs to the Lord, not to David. If David is to be delivered from his suffering, it will be God who delivers him. If David is to be delivered from his enemies, it will be God who delivers him. Calvin continues to say, the saints should patiently endure insolence, deceit, and slander. Paul, uh, Paul properly, properly says we must not seek to avenge ourselves and oppressed by the world, but we must leave it to the wrath of God. Romans 12 verse 19. The, the Psalms of Lament show us that prayer is the proper posture in our pain. When we experience pain, we are tempted to take matters into our own hands. But the Psalms teach us a humble dependence on God. That the Psalms teach us how to trust God. I love the way Martin Luther puts it. This is what he says. He says, it is God's nature to make something out of nothing. Hence, out of one who is not yet nothing, God cannot make anything. Human beings, however, make something else out of what already exists, but this has no value whatsoever. Therefore, God accepts only the forsaken, cures only the sick, gives sight only to the blind, restores only life only to the dead, sanctifies only the sinners, and gives wisdom only to the unwise. In short, he has mercy only on those who are wretched and gives grace only to those who are not in grace. You see, in your suffering and isolation, acknowledge that you don't have the resources to save yourself. Express your confidence in God in prayer. Following David's expression of confidence in his God, he returns to his confession of sin in verse 18 to 20. The last part of the protest can be summarized this way. I'm isolated, but confess my sin. I'm isolated, but confess my sin. This is verse 18 to 20. But, but the way he approaches his sin in this section is different than the way he did in the first part of the prayer. While he acknowledges that his, it's his sin that has led to suffering and isolation, he, he doesn't think that it's right for God to use his enemies as a source of his discipline. Why? Because his foes hate him wrongfully. While discipline for sin makes sense, discipline at the hands of those sin, more sinful than us is troubling. 
even though David has sinned, at the end of the day, he doesn't follow um, after, he doesn't follow, he does follow after good, right? As verse, verse 20 says, the, the, the same cannot be said of his foes. They are not following after good. They are doing evil to David. They should be dealt with. All of this naturally leads to the second petition in verse 21 to 22. He says, do not forsake me, O Lord, O my God. Do not be far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Uh, This petition can be summarized this way. Don't distance yourself from me. This is verse 21 and 22. Don't distance yourself from me. David wants to be saved from his isolation but the way he sums up in he sums it up in these verses is amazing that the, the lord is david's god and he wants him to be near to him he already feels isolated from his closest kin he doesn't want to be feel to, to feel isolated from god as well this longing of david is so instructive for us isn't it how often do we want to run from God in our sin and suffering? How often do we feel distant from God in our sin and suffering? David's heart is to be near to God in his sin and suffering. If he's isolated from everyone else, he at least wants to be near God. Let, Let them leave. Right? But Lord, don't leave me. Lord, be near me. He wants God to be with him. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is the one who promised in his word, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you always to the end of the ages. And David says, be near me. He wants God to be near. He, 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 even in his sin, he, he does not want to run away from God. He wants to go to God. Even though he's isolated from his friends, even though he's isolated from his family, he wants God to be near him. That should be our prayer in sin and suffering. The worst thing that can happen to you in your pursuit of sin is when God says, your will be done. Because you did not want to live in such a way that your life says to God, your will be done. God looks at you and says, okay, your will be done. And he lets you go. That's the worst thing that can ever happen to you. The worst thing that can ever happen to you is not because your family and friends have forsaken you. The worst thing that can happen to you is the absence of God in your life. It's when God isolates you from himself. That's the worst thing that can happen. As I've acknowledged as we we started, not all suffering is a result of sin. And we'll talk about that, as I said, next week. But some suffering is a result of sin. So when we suffer because of our sin, what should we do? We should pray. How should we pray? 
We should cry out to God and ask him to deliver us. We should confess our sin. And when we, should, when we do that, we should express our confidence in God for salvation. The, the, the Psalms of Lament provide us with a pattern for how to pray in our pain. But these prayers were not originally for us to pray, weren't they? Originally, they were David's prayers. And we are not David. So how can we make them our prayers? David was God's anointed king. So first of all, there were prayers of David. But they were also prayed by David's greater son, Jesus Christ. And it's only through Jesus' fulfillment of these psalms that we can make them our prayers. As one commentator says, David's situation and petitions in Psalm 38 typify the passions of our Lord Jesus Christ in, in, in many ways. I'll try to show how this typifies the passions of Christ. Think about David and Christ in this instance. Both suffered God's holy wrath against sin. David for his own sin and Christ to atone for the sins of his people. Both of, of, of their closest friends responded to their suffering by deserting them, leaving them without human aid to defend them against their foes who wanted to take their lives away. Both of their enemies tried to trap them verbally but neither of them spoke to defend themselves in the kangaroo courts. Both had their pursuit of good repaid with evil from their opponents. Both entered the realm of death. David partially Christ fully. Both asked God to save them as they confronted imminent death. But with Christ, God, caused, God used the death of his son to bring salvation to many. David stood as the representative king for all Israel. How it went with David is how it went with Israel. Jesus stands as the representative king for the church. How it goes with Jesus is how it goes for those who place their trust in him. You see, without Christ, we will face the wrath of God for our sins. We, we, we don't have the hope that David had for deliverance from, from, from suffering that comes from sin. But if we are in Christ, we will not face the wrath of God. And we do have confidence that God will deliver us from the sufferings that comes from sin because of Christ. So if you're here today and you've not placed your faith in Christ alone for your salvation, I challenge you this morning to believe in Jesus. I invite you to trust Christ's death for your sins. I invite you to believe that Christ's resurrection um, is there for your eternal life. And if you're here today and you've placed your faith in Christ, you know full well that Christians continue to sin, right? And we suffer because of our sin. But our sin shouldn't lead us to despair. And we shouldn't remain in our sin. We have hope. Psalm 38 provides us a model prayer for those who feel sorrow over their sin. But that's not just a prayer to express our pain. It's also a prayer to repent and turn to God. It's a prayer to ask God to be near us. In this prayer, we should hear the call of the author of Hebrews when he says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from a guilty conscience and our bodies washed 
with pure water. Amen. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we thank you that because of your Son, Jesus Christ, because of what he has endured on the cross, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, we can draw confidently to you. Not because we have earned anything in our works. We have not merited anything but the sin that causes us to deserve wrath. But because of the merits of Christ, Lord, we draw near to you. We thank you for what he has done on our behalf. We thank you for what he has done, that the door is open wide for, for those, O oh God, who are convicted of their sin and who are hopeless, who look to you in hope. You, Lord, will truly save them. May you be blessed and glorified in every way. In the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.